The one who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five more talents, saying, Master, you handed over to me five talents. See, I have made five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and trustworthy slave. You have been trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Please pray with me. Dear God in heaven, we ask you as we do week by week to be here with us in this place. And we trust that you are a promise keeper and that you are here in our midst. May my words now be your words and all of our thoughts your thoughts. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Today, we read about a trustworthy servant of the Lord who was given much to steward, who stewarded it faithfully and then brought and returned to the Lord twice what he was given. On a related note, pledge cards are in the back. (laughs) It is actually a nice coincidence that this story comes the week after our ceremonial ingathering of pledges for next year. Uh, Last week, we heard Jesus tell a parable about wise and foolish bridesmaids. And we talked about how the main takeaway of that parable, at least for us sinners, was that when we get caught with empty lamps, when we're not at all prepared for the coming of our Lord, in other words, when we are revealed to be the sinners that we are, we shouldn't run around trying to save ourselves. We should instead stay, repent, and ask Jesus to save us. Now this week we have a very similar story, at least in structure, if not exactly in content, except the illustration this week is about stewardship. What the servants of the master do with the financial resources with which they've been entrusted. And it just so happens that we have been at this church, been through this season of considering what we will do with what God has entrusted to us. And last week, And for those of you who have not done it yet, on through the end of the year, we're going to be considering our thank offerings back to the Lord of time, talent, financial resources, giving back to God. In this season, we are these servants coming back to the master to report what we've done, what we plan to do with what he has given to us. But we don't actually need to talk about the faithful servant, do we? That's not the role we suspect that we play in this story, is it? We need to talk about this worthless servant, the one who hides his talent because we're worried that that's who we are. We're concerned about what happens to him. And because this week's parable is at least as unsettling, if not even a little more so than the parable about the wise and foolish bridesmaids from last week. Because this week, we get a more detailed and much scarier description of what getting locked out of the kingdom actually looks like. This fearful servant... And I'll get to why I'm calling him fearful rather than what he is usually called, which is wicked or unfaithful in a second. This 
fearful servant hears a terrible judgment. Take the talent from him. Give it to the one with the ten talents. For to all those who have, more will be given. They will have an abundance. But from those who have nothing, even what they have will be taken away. As for this worthless slave, throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, before we get to the gnashing of teeth, we'll get there, I promise. We need to go back to the beginning and understand this story in its fullness. We know it well, I think. The master of a house goes away on a long journey and he entrusts three different amounts of money to three different servants. And upon his return, he asks for an accounting. He wants to know how the servants stewarded his money. How did his stewardship campaign go? And the first two servants took what they were entrusted with and doubled it. The third, though, who professes fear of the master, decides to just bury the money he's been given in the ground rather than putting it to work. He returns to the master exactly what he'd been given and is excoriated for it. So, let us interpret this story. Let us approach this story with the wisdom that we gleaned from the interpretation of last week's story. I think, like I said, that these two stories are very similar. So the foolish bridesmaids last week hear that the bridegroom is coming back, realize that they are unprepared, and miss out on the party altogether because they run away to try to make everything right on their own. They try to save themselves. They assumed that the bridegroom wouldn't be forgiving, that only full lamps and perfectly trimmed wicks would qualify to get them into the banquet. And this fearful servant feels much the same way. He tells the master of the house that he acts in the way he does because he's afraid. Master, he says, I knew that you were a harsh man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you did not scatter seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. So interestingly, in this story, we actually have the conversation between the master of the house and the fearful servant that we didn't get between those foolish bridesmaids and the bridegroom, right? If you'll remember, we had them saying, bang, 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 let us in. And the bridegroom saying, I don't know you. But we don't have those foolish bridesmaids trying to explain their thinking. They don't say, we were afraid you'd be mad that our lamps were empty, that you wouldn't forgive us, so we tried to save ourselves. But that's just what this fearful servant says. Master, I knew you were a harsh man, so I was afraid. And how does the master of the house respond? Well, he's offended. This servant has made a terrible assumption about him. His character has been impugned, maligned. Like the foolish bridesmaids last week, this servant assumes that this master will be unforgiving, unloving. This servant, often called 
wicked or unfaithful actually has a much more deep-seated problem than wickedness or unfaithfulness. He is, at the base, unbelieving. He doesn't believe in the goodness of his master. And that makes him afraid. But, and here is where this story that seems to be bad news from start to finish can actually point to good news for you and me. This servant is wrong about his master. This parable strikes me as a kind of retelling of the events of the Garden of Eden. If the master of the house is God, we know that he is in fact trustworthy, a loving and giving man. That's who God is. God is love, John plainly states in his first epistle. God is light, he writes in that same letter, and in him there is no darkness at all. God is good. But some serpent, somewhere along the way, whispered in this servant's ear exactly the same message that tempted Eve. Did God really say, does your master really love you? Is he really good? Does he really have your best interests at heart? And so this servant says what fearful servants say everywhere, including fearful servants like us. Gosh, probably not. He's probably out to get me. He must be a harsh man. And the result of that faithlessness is fear. And then wickedness. So that's the bad news. The lack of faith leads to fear and wickedness and sin. But there is good news. Remember, in his first letter to the Thessalonians, which we read, Paul reminds those Christians in that city, and he reminds us that we do not have to live in fear. We know who our master is, and we know that he is good. We live in the light. Fear is related to darkness. But we who have put our faith in Jesus Christ and his finished work for us, we live, he says, in the light. But you, beloved are not in darkness for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of darkness. So then let us not fall asleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who are drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober And put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. And why? For God has destined us not for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. So that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live with him. Now, our fears, which really betray a lack of faith are what cause us to fall short of God's righteous calling on our lives. Because remember, don't miss this, that in exactly the same way that those foolish bridesmaids should have been wise and prepared, 
This fearful servant should have been a good steward. And so should we. God calls us clearly to be good stewards of the gifts that we have been given. And he does so throughout the Bible. From Genesis 2, in which God commands us to be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth and care for it, to Proverbs, in which we are called to honor God with our wealth and the first fruits of our produce, from Peter's New Testament call to use our gifts to serve one another as stewards of God's grace, to Jesus' admonition that wherever your treasure is, there your heart is also. Our calling is unambiguous. We are to be good stewards. Everything we have been given is God's, and we are accountable to him for what we do with it. Again, pledge cards are in the back. But we are sinners. We have sinned. We have fallen short of the glory of God. We are selfish. We do not invest the gifts we've been given, doubling them in faith. We have believed the serpent's lie. We are not in Eden anymore. We have been entrusted with a great inheritance. And we all too often... Think about God, think about ourselves, and fear Him. We are all too often afraid. But that is the serpent's lie. That is the serpent trying to trick us. That's not what God is really like. Well, here's where we get to the gnashing of teeth part. That's not what God is really like to a repentant sinner. It is what he is like to someone who refuses to repent, who demands to be judged on their own merits, someone who says, you're a harsh man, and I don't want to have anything to do with you. Now, it's easy to think of this gnashing of teeth that the faithless servant is consigned to as a sort of manifestation of pain, something being unwillingly endured in the fires of hell. But this phrase, this, this Greek word and the Hebrew expression that it refers to has more to do with anger than with pain and suffering. The person in the outer darkness gnashing their teeth isn't doing it because they're desperately sad to have been separated from God. They're doing it because they remain angry at God. They still don't want to have anything to do with him. They're furious that they've been found unworthy because they're still convinced that they are worthy. Those who think that they can save themselves will come face to face with a God who will allow them to try to do just that. That's what leads to outer darkness and weeping and gnashing of teeth. But that is not the face that God turns to a sinner who repents. In Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11, the Lord tells his prophet to say this to the people. As I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. 
This is repentance. Just like the foolish bridesmaids last week who needed only to confess, repent, and ask the bridegroom for forgiveness, the fearful servant this week needs only to confess, repent, and ask for that same forgiveness. And his master, our master, the good God who created the universe, who is light, in whom there is no darkness at all, our master will forgive. This is the message to you, sinners, this morning. Confess, repent, ask for forgiveness, and God will forgive. As we say in our communion prayer, his character is always to forgive, always to have mercy. There's a a special version of what we call the absolution the forgiveness that I announce after we say the confession of sin. There's a special version of that that we say in our Ash Wednesday service. And in it, the words of forgiveness that the minister pronounces to the congregation of otherwise fearful servants, but servants who have now repented. In that absolution, we actually reference Ezekiel 33. Almighty God... I will say to you on that Ash Wednesday evening, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who desires not the death of sinners, but rather that they may turn from their wickedness and live, has given power and commandment to his ministers to declare and pronounce to his people, being penitent, the absolution and remission of their sins. He pardons and absolves all those who truly repent and with sincere hearts believe his holy gospel. In just a few minutes, we're going to say a version of that confession, and I will pronounce an absolution, the same kind of absolution in slightly different words. And then I'll say the comfortable words, that hinge of our service that we say every week, pieces of scripture that help us to remember what the gospel is, that Jesus Christ has come to be the perfect sacrifice for our sins, forever reconciling us to a holy God. But then if you've been coming to this church for a while, you know that I always add in a little bit right there. I go off script for a second. I say that now, because of Christ's sacrifice, we can approach our holy God not in fear, but in peace a peace which we now share together as a church. And then we greet one another in peace in the name of the Lord. Stories like this parable of this wicked and fearful servant are exactly why I make sure to add that in. The good news that we sinners, having been forgiven, can now approach a holy God in peace not fear. We, you and I, are not good stewards. When you make your 2024 pledge to Grace Church, whatever you laid on the table last week or may plan to put in the box this week or in weeks to come, whatever you plan to give back to the Lord, it will not be enough to hold a candle to what Jesus Christ has done for you. There's just no way you can never balance those scales. 
There's nothing you can give back that will make the master judge you worthy on your own merit. And of course, this isn't just about annual giving to the church. It's about your faithfulness with everything that God has given you in your life. You have not, by the measure of God's holiness and commandment, been a good steward. You, me, none of us. And yet, a feast is prepared at Christ's table for you. And when you come up to participate, you will not walk up here in fear. You won't approach God's table trembling. You won't say, I know you are a harsh man. Because you will have heard the gospel. You will have confessed and have been absolved. So hear the good news right now for you. You worship the almighty and holy God of the Bible. Of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, father of our Lord Jesus Christ, whose character is always to have mercy. And on account of Jesus Christ, he has had mercy on you. Know that you are not judged according to your own merit, but on Christ's. So hear these words of comfort from Christ and his apostles. Come to me, Jesus said, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation, the perfect sacrificial offering for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. In and on account of Jesus Christ, you can approach a holy God, not in fear, but in peace. And I get to have an amazing honor. I have been given power and commandment by God through the Anglican Church to pronounce his mercy on you, being penitent. So listen to me now. We're going to do this all liturgically in a second. Confess your sins. Admit that you have fallen short of God's calling. Repent. Turn back to him again and again and again, week by week, day by day. Hour by hour, our God is a loving God and it is his joy to pour out mercy and forgiveness on you. And in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I tell you, yes, you, even now, that you are in his name forgiven. You are made new. You are made whole. On account of Christ, you are saved. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen.